Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the first epistle of Peter, reading there in the second chapter, especially the twenty-first verse. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. You who are here in God's house and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. I believe that all of us would agree that after the day we had yesterday, that we can say and rejoice, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. And I hope that all of us are very happy that we have set this hour aside when we can worship our God. As you heard me mention today, this is the second Sunday after Easter, and it also has a Latin name. This Sunday is called Misericordia Domini Sunday. And that means, misericordia means the goodness and domini of the Lord, because the intro for this Sunday, as it begins in the English, it says, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So today is the goodness of the Lord Sunday. And the ancient epistle lesson read in the early Christian church on this Sunday, the second Sunday after Easter, was taken from the first letter of the Apostle Peter, where in the second chapter, writing by inspiration of God, he reminds the Christians of his generation of a great plea, a great call from Jesus to them. You know, it's rather thrilling when we hear the epistle and the gospel lessons read to know that in all liturgical churches in the world, in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches in the world, that's the epistle and that's the gospel that is being read. And may I say that epistle lesson for this Sunday is the basis of this sermon this morning. I have said that the Apostle Peter, writing by inspiration, is writing to the Christians of his century and generation, reminding them of a tremendous call and plea and appeal from Jesus. And this is what that plea was. Was. He reminds the Christians, remember this, that Jesus asked that you make him your example in your everyday life, that you follow his steps. That was the plea. And today, as Peter speaks to you and me from the eternal word of God, we of the 20th century, as he speaks to you and me who have embraced Christ as our Savior, that we who also claim him as Savior, that Peter would remind you and me this morning that Christ as Savior is calling to you and me this day. He is pleading with you and me that we see to it that he also becomes our example in our everyday life, the pattern, the model in our daily life, and that you and I see to it that we walk and that we follow in his steps, that our steps in our everyday life, that they be Christ-like and they be Christ-pleasing. And you know, that may rather shock some of us to say, you mean to say that Christ wants us who have already embraced him as Savior, that we are to see to it that we have him as our example in our everyday life, that we walk in his steps, we may say to ourselves, why is that necessary? We may say, I can't see there's any necessity. Why, when I have 
put my faith in Christ as my Savior, then I've also got to see to it that I have him as my example, my pattern, my model in life, that my steps are to be Christ-pleasing. We may say, I don't see any necessity for that. I don't think that that is an absolute must. I don't think that that is an absolute essential because we may say, after all, aren't we saved by faith in Christ? Isn't that what we have been taught, especially we Lutherans, that we have been taught that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone? And that's very true. And we may say this morning, if I'm saved by faith in Christ and Him alone, then what's the difference as regards my life? If I'm not saved by my life, and I am not, the Word of God so assures me, then what is so all-fired important that I should have Christ also as the model and as the example and that my footsteps should again be comparable to His? Why? We may say, why the Christian life doesn't amount to much. After all, if I have faith in Christ, then I am saved. And there is no need that I should put any great undue importance on the way I live from day to day. Well, what's the difference whether my, again, my footprints are the same as Jesus, whether I follow in his steps or not? That's rather inconsequential. That's rather trivial, isn't it? And yet again, the Apostle Peter, on the basis of God's word, would remind you and me, we who have embraced Christ as Savior, that Christ calls to you and to me, and he wants us to make sure that we have him as our example in our everyday life, our model in our living, and that you and I follow his steps, that our steps we are to see to it, that they should be Christ-like and Christ-pleasing and Christ-approved, and we may say, what is so earthly and so devastatingly important about our life when we are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ? And today the Apostle Peter, in reminding you and me who have embraced Christ, that Christ comes back and says, I plead with you, be sure that I am your example, be sure that you follow my steps, and all because of this fact, whether you and I realize it or not. Yes, we are saved by faith and faith alone, and our lives do not save us, but this is also true, and Peter would remind you and me of this this morning, that the absence of Christ as example in your life and mine, the absence of, again, steps that are not Christ-like, that that absence is a sure indication that you and I don't have him as Savior either. When in your life and mind you and I do not have him as example, then you and I can rest assured that we do not have him as Savior also. If I lack him as my example in my everyday living, that is proof positive evidence to me that I don't have him as Savior either. When I lack him as example, when again, the steps in my life are not Christ-like, then I can be assured that I do not have him as Savior. And you may say to me, wait a minute. Do you mean to say that when I don't have him as my example, that when in my life my steps are not Christ-pleasing, that this is absolute evidence and assurance that I don't have him as Savior. And you may say, aren't we saved by faith? And isn't it true that our lives do not save us? Yes, that's true. But in the first place, if again Christ as example is missing in your life and mine, then the Christ as the Savior isn't there either. Because Peter would remind you and me of this. 
that if in your life and mine there is an absence of Christ as example, this is sure certainty that your faith and my faith in Jesus Christ is nothing more than a deader than a doornail faith. Oh, I know that we are saved by faith and I've preached it all my life, but have you and I ever stopped and asked ourselves this question, what kind of faith saves? Does just any kind of a faith save in Jesus Christ? Look at your faith in mine just for a moment. If you and I have this kind of a faith in Jesus Christ, that when we look at our life and we say, well, mine's the kind of a faith that doesn't have him as example, and where my footprints show no Christ-likeness whatsoever. If you and I have got to look at our faith and then look at our life and say, I wonder what kind of a faith I really have in Christ, when in the first commandment God says, no other gods before me, and God says, put me first, and you and I look at our lives, say, I don't put him first. It's the least of my worries whether I put his will first. When God says, don't take my name in vain, you and I may say, well, I take his name in vain. What's the difference? I don't pray, I don't praise, I don't give him thanks. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, sanctify the holy day, and you and I may say, I don't care whether I sanctify the holy day, but I've got faith in Jesus. I believe that he is my Savior. You and I ought to ask, what kind of a faith is it of that again in your life and mine never brings you and me to worship our God? And when God says, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, if in your life and mine there's no honoring of our parents, no taking care of them, what kind of a faith do you and I have in Christ? If God says, thou shalt not kill, and you and I run around with hatred in our heart, and we bear a prejudice for years against an individual, pray tell, what kind of a faith is that in Jesus Christ? But you and I say, but I've got faith, preacher. Oh, yes, you have. You bet you've got faith. But what kind? When God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, and you and I don't care how we live, whether it's immoral, whether we break up a home or not, what do we care? After all, we're saved by faith. What kind of a faith is that? Did you ever ask yourself that? Did I ever ask me, thou shalt not steal if you and I are dishonest in our lives and we will see that our steps are anything but Christ-like as regards honesty. What kind of a faith is that, do you think? And if you and I bear false witness and well lie about our neighbor filled with covetousness and greed and hatred and envy and malice, then we say to ourselves, what kind of a faith is it? You know what kind it is? I think we'd say, well, it surely is a non-producing faith. There's something, oh, I believe in Christ as my Savior, but it surely isn't producing any kind of deeds or any kind of a conduct in my life. And that's what the Bible says. It says that a faith without works, a faith without conduct, a faith that doesn't have any fruit is a deader than a doornail faith. And then the Bible says, how can such a faith pay? And how can such a faith ever save you and me? I'd like to introduce you to a notorious person who has just that that kind of a faith, who again believes in Jesus Christ, who gives assent to that kind of a faith that if you and I would say to him, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He is the Savior. This person would say, I certainly do. And I'd like to introduce you to that individual, the most notorious person in the universe, and he is no less than Satan, the devil himself. If Satan would appear right now and I would say to him, Satan, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior? He would say, I most certainly do. And he'd be telling the truth. Do you realize the Bible says that Satan also believes he's got just this very kind of a faith. If you and I would say, Satan, we just 
confessed our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord? Do you believe in the Holy Ghost? He would say, I most certainly do. And He does. But then you and I say, well, Satan, you ought to be saved. If you've got that kind of a faith, then you assent to those truths. And Satan says, me saved? I'm lost and damned. I hate Jesus with a vengeance. Because Satan would say, mine's a debtor than a doornail faith. There are no fruits. There again is no walking in his paths. I hate him. And therefore, let you and me know this. We may say to ourselves, I'm saved by faith, and to be sure we are, and not by our lives. But nevertheless, Christ calls to you and me who have put our faith and trust in him. He says, I also want to be your example. I want you to follow in my steps. Why? Because when in your life and mine, he is not our pattern. When we look at our lives and again, as you and I walk and we stand in steps that are anything but Christ appealing and pleasing, then we can say to ourselves, what a faith I got. It's deader than a doornail. It's a dead faith and it only indicates one thing, that I have never really repented of my sins. Show me an individual who can shout till the cows come home, as we proverbially say, that he has faith in Jesus Christ and where it doesn't show in his life, where Jesus is anything but his example, and where again his footprints and his footsteps are anything but Christ's life. And I'll show you an individual who has a faith that has never led him to repentance. We, if that's the kind of a faith you and I have this morning, a faith that is deader than a doornail, a faith that fails again to produce any kind of a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ, we're just like a dog that goes back to its vomit. We don't hate sin. We go back and we eat it up. And when you and I have never repented, it's possible to stand here today and to say, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, and to be lost with a debtor than a doornail faith, because you can have that kind of a faith. Mr. Satan has the same kind, I would have you know, and it's the kind that never repents. And that's why today, when again the Apostle Peter reminds you and me as Christians, he says, I know you claim you have faith in Jesus Christ, but he says, remember this, that Christ calls you, he wants to be your example, he wants you to follow in his steps. And then we ought to say, I'm going to heed that. I have a faith in Jesus Christ, and because if I do not have him as my example as well as my Savior, that here is an indication that he isn't my Savior, we ought to just stop for a moment this morning, wherever we're at, and we ought to begin to do a little probing and to say, is he my example? Is he the model in my life? What kind of a faith do I have? I know that, again, you and I have been trained and that is so true that we are saved wholly and alone by grace through faith. And we as Lutherans can shout, Sola Gratian, we can shout, Sola Fide. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But let me tell you this, what kind of a faith is it that you and I have? You may say, well, wait a minute, preacher, how about that malefactor on the right hand of God? When Jesus was crucified, what kind did he have any faith in Christ as example? He had a faith in Jesus as Savior, didn't he? And you can rest assured that it wasn't a deader than a doornail faith, or Jesus would never have said to that malefactor, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. But may I also assure you that that faith that he had was never a deader than a doornail faith. There was true repentance, and it was a faith in Christ. And in embryo, he also embraced Christ as his example. Had that man lived, had they taken that man down from the cross, 
you would have seen a man who had Christ as example because that faith that that man had on that Good Friday was certainly more than any kind of a deader than a doornail faith. And so again, if you look at your life and I look at mine and we say, oh, I'm saved. I put my faith in Christ. Uh, it's an insignificant thing how I live. I don't have to care how I live, whether I follow his step. That's rather trite and mediocre and that's rather small. That doesn't make any difference. Jesus calls to you and me who have embraced him as Savior and he says, I want to be your example. I want you to follow my steps because... Oh, it's of tremendous importance. If there is an absence in your life of and mine of Jesus as example, that means that he is gone as Savior. The kind of a faith you and I have is deader than a doornail. And we ought to stand and we ought to repent immediately and to say again, my faith is worthless. It's good for nothing. And then to repent of our sins. Today, again, as you and I look at Jesus Christ and we say to ourselves, uh, I have faith in him. I believe that he is the Son of God. I believe that he is my Savior. And the Apostle Peter, writing by inspiration of God, he reminds you and me, yes, I know you do, but I want you to bear in mind that Christ calls to you who have embraced him as Savior, that he wants you to make sure that he is your example in your living, in your everyday life. He's your pattern. He's your model. I want you to make sure, uh, Peter says, because Christ wants you to make sure that you are following in his steps. And you and I, may say, well, if I'm saved by faith in Christ, then what's so all-fired important about my life? And again, the Word of God assures you and me that when there is an absence in your life and mine of Christ as example, we can rest assured he isn't there as Savior either. He can't be. Why? Because the Apostle Peter reminds you and me in the second place that if in your life and mine there is an absence of Christ as example. And we can look again at our steps and they are anything but Christ-like, anything but Christ-pleasing. This is an assurance that our faith that we have is anything less than a saving faith. You think that a faith that can't even move you and me to in our Christian lives doing anything that is Christ-like and that is Christ-pleasing could possibly save you and me? Why, how in the world could that kind of a faith be a saving faith? What is a saving faith? Why, a saving faith is one that expresses itself. Why, when I have a saving faith in Christ, then that moves me in my life to want to say, thank you, Christ, for having died for me. Thank you for having borne hell and damnation for me. Thank you. It's the only way in which you and I can thank him. What other way? Oh, I may say, thank you, Lord, and I may not mean it. It's the only way in which you and I can discover whether we are really Christians or not. You may say to me, I have faith. You've never seen your faith, have you? I've never seen mine. You and I can't see our faith. It's an invisible thing. And therefore, when anybody, I don't care who you are this morning, when you say to me, I know that I have faith in Christ and that I'm saved because I feel it, may I say, that's no assurance. You may think you feel it, and you may still feel it. That doesn't assure you a thing. You may say, I know that I have a faith in Jesus that saves me because the Holy Spirit testifies within me. And again, he may or he may not. It may be a case of indigestion, friend. But when you say to me, I know that I have a saving faith because my life proves it, that's Jesus. Christ says, how do you prove whether you and I have a saving faith? Christ says, by their fruits. 
Why did he curse the fig tree? Because it didn't have any figs. And Jesus says to you and me, do you want to know whether you've got a saving faith? Do you want to know whether you've got the kind of a faith to save? Christ says, look at your tree. Got any apples on it? If there are no apples on your apple tree and mine, by their fruit ye shall know them. If there are no apples, it's a corrupt tree and it's a faith that is anything but a saving faith. The only way in the world in which you and I can test our faith to know that it's a saving faith is in your life and mine. And therefore, when we don't have him as example, when you and I look at our lives and we don't follow his steps and there isn't anything in your life and mine that by the stretch of our imagination could be comparable to Christ-likeness or to Christ-pleasingness, then you and I might as well say, my faith that I have, it's dirty cuts, it's for nicks, it's nothing. What in the world can a faith like that ever do? If it isn't a saving faith, a saving faith, let me tell you, is one that shows itself in Christ as example and that you and I see some fruit. Oh, it may not be perfect fruit, but there is fruit. And that ought to mean this, that when Peter reminds you and me that because we have been saved in Jesus Christ, nevertheless Christ says, but I want you to see to it that I am your example. I want you to see to it that you follow my steps, that we ought to say, I'm going to heed that. And I'm going to see right now that in my life, Christ is going to be my pattern in everyday living. Christ is going to be my model. I am going to follow his steps. And if we have that determination, it isn't so difficult. How can you simplify life? You and I may say, isn't life complicated? You know how to simplify life? We have the Ten Commandments. They are God's standard of right and wrong. Here's one way to simplify life. On the basis of the Word of God, we have an absolute standard of right and wrong. God says, this is right, this is wrong. To simplify life and to bring the joy that ours is the saving faith, we ought to determine today, listen, in any decision that comes in my life, if it's right, then I do it. If it's wrong, I say no. I will not rationalize. I will not say, well, it may be wrong, but it isn't very wrong, and therefore I'm going to do it anyhow. If you and I today can say, if the thing is wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. Oh, how that simplifies life. Thank God we have an absolute standard. Oh, I know today they're trying to preach that the Ten Commandments, that morality is not an absolute standard, but God's standard is absolute. What's right with God is always right, never will be wrong. And what's wrong with God is wrong, and it's always going to be wrong. But when you and I can simplify life, then... Again, there comes peace within. The assurance that ours is a saving faith, that our life proves that we do have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. When I was in Egypt down in Cairo, I went over to Memphis, and there are ruins there, especially one of the statues of the temple that stood when Joseph was down in Egypt. And I think of that man, Joseph. What was the simplification in his life that gave him the assurance that he was a child of God when in Potiphar's house there came an opportunity to sin with Potiphar's wife? What did he say? He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It's wrong. The answer is no. And that simplified it, didn't it? There was peace within. When psychiatrists tell us that in mental institutions, the majority in mental institutions are there with a guilt complex. They feel guilty. What is it that tears up the human soul and tears up the human personality? 
It's when in your Christian life and mind you and I don't give a hang how we live. That we don't care and think it's unimportant whether we have Christ as example and whether again we follow in his steps. If we want peace of mind, if you and I want the assurance that Christ is our Savior, that ours is a faith that saves, there's only one way to do it. That is to make sure that we follow his steps, that he is our example, our pattern, and that when the answer is yes, we say yes, and when the answer is no, we say no. Again, this, on this second Sunday, when we, again, we turn to the word of God, and the Apostle Peter speaking to you and me, again, we as Christians who say, I have faith in Christ, I'm saved by faith, I'm not saved by my life, and that is so absolutely true but nevertheless he reminds you me that Christ says but in addition I want you to see to it that I am your example in your everyday life I want you to see to it that you follow my steps I want you to see to it that your steps that you take every day that they are Christ-like that they are Christ-pleasing and you and I must say oh that seems so relatively unimportant that doesn't seem so dire that doesn't seem so necessary how should my life be so important but the Word of God assures you and me that when, again, there is missing in your life and mine Christ as example, it's a dead certainty that he's also missing as Savior for this reason also that the Apostle Peter reminds us that when in your life and mine there is missing Christ as our example, then there is absolute certainty that our faith in him is anything but a growing faith. We say, I'm saved, I believe in Jesus, but what kind of a faith saves? A dead faith doesn't save. A saving faith is the only kind that saves, and a growing faith. If you and I have got to look at our life this morning and we say, well, there's anything but growth there, I don't even have him as an example. I couldn't care less. I don't care how I live, but I'm saved, you see. He saved me, and therefore I have that kind of a faith. If you and I have got to look at our lives today and we say, he isn't my pattern, I couldn't care less. And again, I don't follow in his steps. What kind of a faith do you and I have? We'll have to say, well, it sure isn't growing. It's worse than that. It isn't growing. We've got to say, it's dead long ago, and I don't even know it. You see, it dies on the vine, and you and I don't even know. It is so dead that, again, it doesn't lead you and me to want to grow in Christ's likeness that we want to grow in his image, to be something like he is, to prepare ourselves for heaven here upon earth. And if in your life and mine we may shout to the heavens that we've got a faith in him, and yet that faith doesn't cause you and me to grow in our Christian life. If there is no growing in Christ's likeness, in mercy, in kindness, as our good shepherd and overseer did, who when he would revile, reviled not again. He didn't wreak vengeance on individuals, but he prayed for them. If in your life and mine we look and there is no growing in Christ's likeness, then you and I can say, the kind of a faith I've got could never save me. If I can't even grow, I surely therefore have a faith that doesn't want to spend eternity with him. That kind of a faith is worse than nothing because of this fact. It assures you and me that if I don't have him as example, I don't want to spend eternity with him in heaven. Uh, the only reason I don't want to go to hell, we're really saying to him, is because there's punishment. If there wasn't any punishment, we, we just love to go to hell, we're saying to him. If we don't follow him as example... If I don't follow him as example, then I cast underfoot Calvary. Then I'm saying to him, I don't want to live with you in heaven. I don't want to live in perfection. 
I'd rather live in sin. I'd rather live in indulgence. But the only reason I don't want to go to hell is because there's punishment. So second best, I'll go to live with you and we don't go that way. When you and I have anything but a growing faith, growing faith that doesn't want to grow in holiness. And in your life and mine, we see no Christ-likeness whatsoever. Then let's say to us, we don't have him, the kind of a faith you and I have. Get rid of it. It's nothing but a deader than a doornail faith. And therefore, again, as Christians, let's realize this. Let's not, especially as Lutherans, let's not camp on the idea that because of the grace of God through faith you and I are saved, that that obligates us in no way whatsoever that we can live as we please. We ought to therefore say there's one thing that is absolutely important in your life and mine as Christians, having Christ as it, and that is that we have Christ as our example and that we follow in his steps. And if we determine to do that, that means not only are we going to simplify life with right and wrong, but in every decision, the hard ones, this is going to be our rule. We're going to say to ourselves, what would Jesus do? Oh, and all the ramifications of life, you and I know that complicated things come up. There are questions that are uh, not right and wrong, questions of choice. And then there are questions, they're borderline cases. When does something right become wrong? And then we wonder, now what do I do? When you and I again say that Christ shall be my example, we'll always ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? And then usually it's the hard thing. Usually it's the most difficult thing. When we say, in this situation that is now pounding for me for a decision, what would my Lord do? And when you and I say, this is what I believe he would do, and you and I do it, oh, what assurance we have, a conscience that no longer troubles, the assurance that ours is a saving faith, and let come what will. What do you think sustained General Douglas MacArthur? When in the Far Eastern Command, he was relieved and he was fired. Relieved because he was accused of insubordination. What do you think kept the man going? Do you know what he said? He said that again. He said, my prayer is this. My prayer is this. God, give me this courage, he says, to do the right as I see the right. That's the kind of a man he was that in every decision that General Douglas MacArthur made, there was one paramount question. What does God want me to do? And because that's the way the man lived, when he flew into our coast and wondered what kind of a reception he was going to get in America, oh, his head was bloody, but it was unbowed. Because down in here, he knew this, that everything was all right. When he addressed both houses of Congress, he could stand there in, again, the splendor of character, of having run his life and having administered his Far Eastern post on this basis, God, give me the courage to do the right as I see the right. Then he could smile and say to this nation, old soldiers never die. They just fade away. And just here recently, General and President Dwight David Eisenhower. Oh, the towering oak of Abilene is the way I like to look at him. The towering oak of Abilene. He became a baptized Christian, you know. 
embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as we go back in perspective and we review his years as President of these United States, what is the one thing that men are coming to? Isn't it this? That Dwight David Eisenhower as a Christian had this as his principle. What would Jesus have me to do? And go back in his decisions and you're going to find that this was the basis. What would Jesus have me to do that he might know that the faith that he had was a saving faith and it didn't matter what men said. And at his funeral, I'm sure that most of us rejoice that Luther's great battle hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was sung. He was a Christian. And you know, when men like that die, we sort of die a little too, don't we? We miss them and their influence in this great nation of ours. But may you and I know this. If we're going to shout that we are saved because we have Christ and we have faith in him, let's make mighty sure that we also have embraced him as example and that we are walking in his paths. Only then do we have the assurance that we've got our saving faith and then the assurance that we really are climbing Jacob's ladder. Isn't that what we're doing? We can walk the glory road and sing, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Soldiers of the cross, every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. Soldiers of the cross, Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Soldiers of the cross, if you love him, why not serve him? Let him, you see, be your example. Walk in his path. If you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him? Soldiers of the cross, rise, shine, give God glory. Rise, shine, give God glory. Rise, shine, give God glory. Soldiers of the cross. Oh, may you and I say, I've embraced him as Christ, and I embrace him as example. Then I have the assurance that I am saved, that he is my Lord, that I have him, and nothing else matters. Sons and daughters dying in Vietnam, and you wonder, listen, nothing else matters. Nothing at all. When you and I can look at our lives and say, I have him not only as Christ, but I walk in his paths. Everything is just right. We're climbing Jacob's ladder. Hallelujah. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.